The Smart Nutrition Made Simple Show, episode number 42. Welcome to the show where we help you make smart nutrition simple so that you can fuel your best with less. Less time, less money, and less stress. I'm Ben Brown, co-founder and CEO of BSL Nutrition, and I'm excited to have you join me on this journey. Each week, I'll be sharing expert advice from leaders in the field of nutrition, fitness, lifestyle, and supplementation who actually practice what they preach and are also on a mission to positively impact as many people as possible in a meaningful way. Today's episode is brought to you by my nutrition company, BSL Nutrition, and our all-in-one training drink called Complete Essentials. When you use the Complete Essentials, you'll no longer need pre, during, and post-workout supplements. You can save time, money, and energy, and get all the beneficial nutrients you need in one delicious, easy-to-mix drink. Make sure you guys stay tuned after the show where I'll share a nice little discount for all of our listeners on your first product purchase. Hey, what's up guys? Welcome to episode number 42 of the Smart Nutrition Made Simple Show. I am your host, Ben Brown, co-founder and CEO of BSLnutrition.com. Today on the show, my buddy Matt Walrith, founder of BeyondMacros.com, which is a nutrition coaching company that helps people get leaner and stronger and perform their best with sustainable nutrition changes rather than restrictive dieting. He has been working to crack the code on how to fix the statistic that 96% of people who lose 20 pounds or more on a diet gain it back within a year. He is also a nomad who has created a life of freedom for himself through inner work, personal finance, kung fu, and bringing his work online. As always, I want to thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to join me. And if you feel like there's anything in this episode that really resonates with you or you feel could positively impact someone you care about, then please, please share it with them, subscribe on iTunes, and leave a positive rating and review. Without further ado, let's jump in. Matt, what's going on, buddy? Welcome to the Smart Nutrition Made Simple Show. How are you? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me on here, Ben. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm super excited to have you on to just talk shop. And, you know, I love talking about nutrition, hence the name of the show. And so yeah. you are the dude that is all about macros, right? And, but you, you kind of have a unique spin on macro coaching. Would you mind just giving us kind of the two minute synopsis of like your macro coaching business, what it's all about? Yeah, absolutely. So for those who aren't super familiar with macros, macros are protein, fat, and carbohydrate. And each of the macronutrients has a certain amount of calories in each. So by actually controlling the number of each macronutrient you eat, you're also controlling your caloric intake. So over the course of my coaching career, I realized that meal plans weren't the most effective way to go about things because you weren't teaching somebody with a meal plan. It's like you were handing them the fish instead mm -hmm. of teaching them how to fish. Sure. So I had people who were becoming reliant upon me to give them meal plans in order to continue progressing or to maintain their progress. So I ended up gravitating towards macros because you know, some people can use it like a diet. You can take macros, you can count them meticulously, and you can get some short-term results. But the spin that we've put on it is that we use macro accounting as our guide for figuring out what habits you need to shift. Because if you take this habit-based approach where you're like, okay, here are the targets that I know I need to hit in order to lean out, improve my performance, or gain muscle, then, okay, those are the numbers I know I need to hit. Here's how I'm eating right now. These are my habits and routines. Now, how do I take what I'm doing now, which doesn't fit the numbers that I need to hit. And which little tweaks can I make so that all of a sudden I'm hitting these numbers. 
And now it feels like a new normal set of habits for me rather than making this 180 degree turn from, okay, these are my habits and routines. Here's my meal plan over here. I'll do this for about 12 weeks. And then when it's over, I'm going to gravitate back in this direction because I didn't learn anything. So yeah, it's really about shifting the habits and through that process, really educating the client about how to make those food choices on their own. Yeah, I love it. So the, obviously the importance is on the numbers and we talk all the time about like, look for the most, for, you know, for most people, the calories at the end of the day are going to matter most, but how we get there is obviously incredibly important. So you've got these numbers in place, right? These macronutrients that we want people to hit, but you, it sounds like you're taking, you know, placing less emphasis on the numbers per se and saying, okay, here's what you need to do throughout the day in order to hit those numbers. Right. Yeah. So they're not just sitting there with their MyFitnessPal and kind of going piece by piece, food by food throughout the day, like just adding stuff up. Yeah, exactly. That's always part of the learning process. Like, you know, in the beginning two weeks, usually people are like, they've got to be meticulous about the numbers and they want to be because they signed up their gung ho. That's when the willpower is the highest and the motivation is the highest. So they'll do that in the beginning. And it's good because that's a learning process. You know, they'll weigh and measure their food in the beginning which will help them develop their eye for portion sizes. They will be on my fitness pal trying to meticulously figure out how things work. And that will give them an idea about, Oh, this food, you know, I didn't realize that a burger contains a ton of fat. I thought it was just pure protein. And so it's really, yeah, exactly. (laughs) You know, there's those foods that people are confused about what the primary macronutrient is. And in those early days where they are meticulous, then, you know, there's a lot of lessons to be learned. But ideally, in order to get someone to a place where the change lasts, you need to have them actually understanding like, okay, this, these are the non-negotiables in my life. Like, I want to be able to have dinner with my family. Now, how do I manage a situation like that? How do I do that, but not go completely off the rails? Mm-hmm. And eventually, you know, people figure out their non-negotiables, their compromises, and, uh, and then at the same time, they understand how to be on the right track. So how would you break it down in terms of like, let's talk some entry level steps for someone in terms of classifying their macronutrients and not, and, and not, I'm not saying classifying, but actually determining like which ones to plug in when, is there one in particular that you feel is the best entry level place for someone to start, um, to start with, to create more awareness around? Yeah. So if I understand you correctly, like which macronutrient should someone focus on in order to create that awareness? Especially in the beginning stages, where would you start someone? Always I would start with protein because if you can get your calories right and your protein right, then the calories are going to help you shift your body mass in any direction. So if you're eating less than you burn, you're going to shift your body mass down. You're going to lose some weight or the other direction. If you are eating more than you burn, then you're going to shift your body mass up. And then by getting your protein balance correct, you're going to make sure that most of the mass you're losing is not muscle, that you're making sure most of it's fat. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you're making sure most of the mass gained is muscle versus fat. So I'd always start with protein first for that reason. And it's also a really good lesson because you'll start to learn that like different protein sources have different amounts of fat. So you'll also learn some lessons about fat in the process. And for anybody that's eating vegetarian sources of protein, they're also going to realize that those are tied to carbohydrate. So they'll learn some lessons about carbohydrate in the process, uh, as well as some fats. So is there kind of a typical number of meals per day that you would recommend uh, for most people that you're finding that works well? 
Uh, no. And it's a conditional no, because the thing is some people have come to our program because there's another program out there that is in the same space as we are that requires people to eat six meals per day. So some people just don't have a schedule that fits that six meal per day pattern and it gets frustrating for them. Um, I found that the best thing to do is work with what their current meal routine is. Like if someone's only eating two meals per day, I'm probably going to get them eating more, especially if they're feeling these energy crashes throughout the day. Um, there's also the people who they'll eat a big meal and then they'll have this blood sugar crash and they'll be really hungry and ravenous in between meals and they're not going to have energy. And for them, that might be somebody who benefits from the six smaller meal per day, um, dogma that's out there, but I'm not someone who's like, you have to eat six meals per day. Otherwise the results are gone because the primary driver of your results is going to be the total amount of food that you eat over the course of the day. And then how you spread it out is really going to dictate uh, how you feel in between those meals. And also if you are really looking for performance, the nutrient timing around your workout is going to be really dictated by those meals. So I, one, I have, I appreciate you talking about that as, um, the individualization of it is everyone can respond differently. Some people can do fine on two meals. Some people, if they have blood sugar issues, absolutely need six meals. And so it sounds like within your guys' coaching program, you make a obviously a concerted effort to coach the individual as opposed to just pumping out diet templates, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. The template we start with is the template that the, the client presents with. So they come to us and they're like, these are my habits and routines. And that's what we have to tweak. Yeah. That's what we have to work with then. Yeah, I do things very, very, very similarly. And so, okay, we've got an idea of our protein. Now you, you work with a lot of athletes. You work with a lot of CrossFit athletes. And so for these athletes, assuming they're, and actually let's take one quick step back and talk to me about that protein goal. Yeah. Where would you generally start it? Yeah, so for the most part, the... International Society of Sports Nutrition, their stance is that for an athlete, one and a half to two grams per kilogram of body weight is where you want to start. So really anybody that is involved in anything that would be considered athletic, obstacle course racing, CrossFit, even doing things like if you're going to four or five orange theory classes mm-hmm. per week, you know, if you're doing some athletic things, your protein needs are higher. So that's a really good basic guideline. I personally set the protein goals higher just because in my experience, I have my clients do body composition testing before and after working with us, just so we have an objective view of how things worked. And what I've found is that when I push people who are looking to lose fat towards the higher end of the range, even in that like 2.2 up to even 2.6 grams per kilogram of body weight, that they really seem to maintain or gain muscle while they're on a fat loss plan. So for fat loss people, I'm always pushing that number higher um, because especially for athletes, the goal is to get them to a caloric maintenance. So where they are maintaining their body weight. So that 1.5 to 2 grams per kilogram might work for them. But when you're losing or when you're on a deficit and you're losing fat, chances are you'll lose muscle if you don't have enough protein. So I'd rather just pump it in there. Yeah. So it sounds like so. So uh, yeah. So about a gram per pound or so. Uh, yeah, lately I've been doing more, almost like uh, 105% of your body weight. So 1.05 yeah. times your body weight in pounds, even up to 1.1 for some people. If they're, you know, if they're a bigger person, they're eating more calories already. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm seeing a lot of really good results with that as well. And, and interestingly, I was just sitting in on a lecture with um, Dr. Gabrielle Lyon. Do you know who that is? No, I'm not familiar. She's out of New York, but she's like a functional medicine doctor. And, <clears throat> but she, her whole, she kind of has this muscle centric model. And the idea is that, you know, muscles, the organ of longevity really, and yeah. we want to do everything we can to maintain if not improve muscle mass as we age because of of course age-related decline in muscle which we know is you know the clinical term is sarcopenia but most people have some degree of sarcopenia as they age because we're just not as physically active but also you know we don't stimulate the muscles in the right way and one of the major components obviously is eating enough protein um, throughout the day. And what she's seen from some of the research is, and, and I'm sure you appreciate this because you're working with a lot of athletes, but having, having numerous feedings, at least three feedings of at least 30 grams of protein as a means to stimulate muscle protein synth- synthesis and, and stimulate mTOR is yeah. what you need at each of those feedings. And so making sure to at least, and this is kind of for everyone, at a minimum, hitting that 30 grams of protein is kind of crucial, especially for maintaining and laying down new muscle tissue. So uh, I, I think that's, that's a, a great recommendation. So then, okay, so moving into then how are we distributing the carbohydrates and the fat? Because those are the other two macronutrients. What do you, what are the kind of the variables that you start to look at then and that you individualize for people? Yeah, so it really depends on activity level. The next thing that I like to look at is carbohydrate. So if somebody, for example, is coming to me, and we work with a number of people who have done or are doing endurance events, but they discovered they liked it after CrossFit. So they're usually somebody who's doing like two, three CrossFit classes a week plus Ironman training or something like that. So for an endurance athlete, especially if they're engaged in a really high volume of training, that's when I'm going to start feeding them a lot more carbohydrates. So I've got people who are training for Ironmans that need to be eating like five times their body weight in kilograms in carbohydrate per day. And yeah. 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 And so that comes out to, you know, almost like two and a half times your body weight in pounds. So it ends up being a carbohydrate number that some people are very uncomfortable with at first. Um, But yeah, so then there's the other people who are looking to lose fat and I might put them, especially if they've already got a good amount of body fat on them on a little bit lower carbohydrate number, because especially when I see body fat in certain areas, like, you know, sitting on the hips and kind of the the back, then I know that they probably don't handle blood sugar or carbohydrate and their blood sugar probably gets a little bit dysregulated. So, you know, I'll usually put them on a bit lower of a target. But the thing that I've been learning is that there's kind of just like a minimum glucose requirement for your brain to properly function. So I don't want anybody to be on such a low carbohydrate that when they go work out, they really, their energy drops. And then especially if they're working out in the morning, I don't want them to have to go to work or, you know, have their family responsibilities and just have what I've heard some, especially women talk about as they call it mom brain, where it's like, you know, you're just doing the things that you do during your day, but like your brain's almost turned off. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's interesting, especially in a realm now where there's so much emphasis placed on, on both intermittent fasting and on ketogenic dieting. What's your experience been going through this, you know, the years of coaching, especially with the um, reintroduction of these, these fads, if you will. um, And especially working with athletes, you know, what's some resistance that you've been getting and what are some things that you've experienced with 
one, just keeping carbohydrates in the diet. And then for your athletes that maybe have ventured off maybe on their own and what you've experienced from them, uh, you know, experimenting with that. Yeah. So keto and intermittent fasting are definitely kind of the diet du jour right now. Everybody is really into it. And the amount of people who are coming to me who are like, yeah, I'm doing the low carb, high fat intermittent fasting thing has really gone up. And for a population of people who are doing intense exercise, it is not the right way to go about it because the energy systems that your body uses for high intensity exercise is going to really depend on the amount of carbohydrate that you have stored in your muscles. So if you're on a low carbohydrate diet, you're not really going to have that muscle carbohydrate store. And if you do, it's there because cortisol has spared it. So, you know, you don't want to have those elevated stress hormones just because you're on a low carb diet and your body is requiring carbs for the type of movement that you're doing. It can be really counterproductive. Um, And it's interesting, as you mentioned, like, how am I dealing with people coming to me like that and trying to get them towards carbohydrates? Well, usually what I need to do is the most important thing with a nutrition protocol is getting the client to buy in. And I think that most people can start to understand that, okay, if I put the carbohydrates around my workout, which is when I need them, then I'm willing to put those carbohydrates in. It's almost like that targeted ketogenic thing. And yeah, and that usually ends up being the way that you can kind of incept a hardcore client into Mm -hmm. carbohydrates. And then once they put them in around the workout, maybe you get them to do like, 20 grams of a carbohydrate snack before they work out. And then you get them to do maybe up to 50 grams after they work out in a meal so that they've got something for recovery. Even that little bit of carbohydrate should make them feel better from a performance perspective. And that is usually the gateway to getting them to feel like they can eat more carbohydrates without getting fat. Cause if they realize their performance improves, but their body composition hasn't changed and their energy levels haven't dropped, then usually that's a good way just to, to get them to actually accept carbohydrates back into their diet. Yeah, dude, I love it. I want to like fist bump you through the, uh, through the computer screen right now. <laughs> good, good stuff. So you mentioned, we'll stick on carbohydrates for a second because yeah. I'm, I'm actually pretty interested to hear how you structure it with your athletes. Um, and then you mentioned, you know, kind of pair your workouts. So before, after your workouts, is that how you would typically structure it for, for most of your athletes? And then along those lines is how do you adjust the volume of carbohydrates, uh, based on the type of training that they're doing? What, what does that typically look like for your athletes? Yeah. So it depends on the athlete for somebody who is doing weightlifting only. And I'm talking like Olympic weightlifting where Mm. you're really high power output for maybe, you know, two, five seconds. You're just doing maximal loads, maximal power output on weightlifting. Those people actually can do well on a lower carbohydrate diet because the energy system that they're using relies more on creatine. So, you know, there are amazing weightlifters out there like Derek Johnson um, who's an American champion and American record holder, he is constantly using a low carbohydrate diet, but he doesn't do it because he wants to, you know, be keto. He doesn't even really call it keto. He just really is seeking foods that are low in inflammation for him. And he finds that carbohydrates cause inflammation and he's had two knee surgeries. Uh, or surgeries on both knees. So for him, he was saying that he's just looking to avoid inflammation and he performs very well on a diet like that, just because he's not going into those energy systems that require 
a high degree of carbohydrate. Now, for people who are doing anything with any degree of intensity or the the um, whatever sport or uh, effort they're doing lasts yeah, longer than ten like, seconds. Yeah, let's talk like you know typical CrossFit, typical like Orange Theory. They've got you know, mixed variable training, there's some weight training, there's some energy systems development, there may be some aerobic components. Um, Let's talk about kind of that type of population. Yeah. So, you know, for your everyday person that's going into a typical class, I would just say that you want to make sure that you've eaten a meal within like a, a, a decent meal, like your primary, if you were thinking three square, one of your square meals within four hours of that workout. And then from there, I really try to get people just to get something in within the hour before they train. Cause there is some really good research that shows that although that energy might not be available for your body during the training session, any of those carbohydrates or any of the amino acids from any protein you eat before a workout will be available to your body when you're done and can actually help with the repair processes. So I'm usually getting people to think about, okay, how can I get a protein and carbohydrate snack in before I go to a class or go to do whatever my workout is? And then afterwards, my goal is to get them again thinking, okay, something protein and carbohydrate related, and then I'm going to go home and have a good meal. Give me an example of, of something that you would typically recommend because, you know, we've all had the, the clients that... Um, you know, may not like to consume too much food, certain types of foods before the training, especially if it's a high lactate inducing workout. Yeah. Um, so, so give me an example of something that you would typically recommend as a pre-workout, especially in that like hour before um, that's protein carb. And then what your typical kind of post-workout meal uh, would look like. Yeah, absolutely. So actually I've found a lot of clients love RX bars because they're just so widely distributed and it's a good amount of carbohydrate it's got a decent amount of protein and it's something that they can just eat on their car on the way to the gym. And it's not something that sits heavy in the stomach. So that would be one example. And then for other people, I'll usually get them to maybe do some fruit with some jerky because Mm -hmm. there's not a lot of mass to either of those things. So it's not like it sits super heavy in the stomach, but as you mentioned, it really, especially if you're doing that high lactate work, you don't necessarily want to have anything big in your stomach. And some people just generally don't do well with solid food in their stomach. So that's the point where you might use some liquid nutrition. You might do a little bit of a protein shake, maybe a little bit of fruit juice, hopefully a no sugar added one, just like a a pressed fruit juice. Um, And then after you're done with the workout, you can do something similar. Uh, If you are the type of person who you're done and you just have absolutely no appetite, you could go for some of the liquid nutrition. And then the meal, the perfect meal, I think for me, and this is just my experience after I'm done training is usually going to be some form of grain. So maybe like uh, a red rice or a black rice with some lentils. And then I'm going to eat it with a decent portion of meat and a little bit of vegetables just because I like my vegetables, but they're not super necessary for the recovery perspective in a post-workout meal. So for me, since I really do well with carbohydrates, especially the starchy ones like legumes and grains, that's usually what I'll go for. Um, Oftentimes I'll also do maybe some potato or sweet potato in the mix as well. Do you tend to shy away from more inflammatory grains like gluten uh, containing grains? Is that something that you typically uh, recommend, you know, people stay away from? 
Yeah. So whenever I'm working with a client, I will never recommend a gluten containing grain as a potential food source unless they're already eating it. But really my goal, once I ran a food sensitivity test on myself and started going through the elimination and reintroduction process after that, I found the foods that caused the inflammation in me and I got rid of them. Some of them were foods that other people would consider to be anti-inflammatory, like ginger or lettuce or lemon. And I really try to avoid the foods that are reactive for me. And the most reactive one is wheat. But I've run food sensitivity tests on other people and you know they're fine with wheat and they've been eating it for years and they don't feel any any issues. So I'm not gonna recommend they eat more of it. But you know, if they've already got a slice of bread in their morning toast with some eggs and that's a ritual that they like and if I remove it then there's gonna be no buy-in, then I'm not gonna remove it. Totally. Yeah. Makes perfect sense. So, okay. So you, so you're kind of keeping the majority of the carbohydrates. I believe you said that, right? You're keeping the majority of the carbs kind of in that pre post-workout window. Um, yeah. And then, if I have a, if I have an athlete who's engaging in more volume and more intensity, like a competitive athlete, then I'm going to actually have them doing some intra workout carbohydrate. Yeah. So taking in some carbohydrate during their session, especially if it lasts longer than 90 minutes. And what's like branch cyclic dextrins or what do you tend to, to gravitate towards sweet potato powder? Yeah. So it depends on the person, the branch cyclic dextrin. Yes. It's a faster absorbing carbohydrate, but I think sometimes it can be overkill because it's like, oftentimes five times as expensive yeah, it's pretty as like a rice derived maltodextrin or dextrose. Sure. So oftentimes I'll just have somebody do a 50, 50 blend of maltodextrin and dextrose derived from rice rather than GMO corn. And sure. yeah. And that usually ends up being a cheap, good option for people. Um, so that's usually what I'll, I'll recommend just because of the, the cost effective nature of it. And then some people who are willing to shell out $15 a pound for sweet potato powder, you know, yeah. they can, they can do that as well because it's got good micronutrient load in it as well. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Fair enough, man. That is uh, that's good. And then, okay, cool. So then, and then, so obviously the third and last macronutrients fat. So how are you, what, yeah. how do you look at fat then as compared to how you're spacing out your protein and carbs? Yeah. So I think where I differ from some other people, maybe in the sports nutrition area or, um, it's just that I, I see the importance of fats. I do have some functional diagnostic nutrition training and, mm-hmm. you know, I really understand the importance of fats when it comes to, uh, especially your steroid hormones. So I usually don't like fats to drop too much. And I also take a really realistic perspective because even a leaner meat, so let's take chicken thigh, for example, you know, it's not the leanest meat, but it's a pretty lean meat. It has three times as many protein grams as fat grams. So, to put that another way, it has one third the amount of grams of fat as it does protein. So if I have your protein intake for the day at 180 grams of protein, it's going to be really hard for you to get food-based protein um, if you're under 60 grams of fat, if that makes sense. Because if you were to get all of your protein from chicken thigh, all 180 grams, that means that you would already be at that 60 grams of fat range. Now, I understand that most people will throw a protein shake in, which doesn't have any fat, but that's, that's really where, okay, all of a sudden there's some fat freed up for some plant-based sources of fat instead of animal-based. So I really also try to be realistic and I don't like the protein in, or sorry, the fat intake to be less than one third of the protein intake, just because it's not realistic from a food perspective. Yeah, for sure. I've encountered this a fair amount and it's, it's timely that you brought this up because I was just talking with a 
a friend yesterday and she was talking about a certain diet template that she was on that focuses on macros. And I, and so I took a look at it and it was surprising to me because she was at like, I want to say she was at like 175 grams of carbs per day and 55 grams of fat. And you know, on paper, like in theory, okay, yeah, calories matter and the most, right? And as long as we're creating a caloric deficit. But the problem was that she'd been following this plan. She'd gotten a little bit of results, but the problem was she really wasn't feeling well. Yeah. Um, she was having like massive headaches in between meals. She was getting to the point where she was like ravenous um, or hangry, if you will, between meals. And this is something that I've seen a lot. And she was at the point where she was like, just wanting to abandon ship and be like, I just need to go and try the next diet or the next um, testing protocol because something's wrong with me. And I was like, wait a minute yeah. here. Like this is where calories may not matter most, but we got to take a, a step, a step back and say, right. Okay. Well, what if we start to shift the protein and carbs, right? Assuming I'm with you, that protein's like the, the most important variable, especially for body comp, well, then what if we just start to shift the, the fat and carbs, right? Because we know the value of, of fat, especially as a precursor to hormone production, especially for females, um, you know, and, and so this is definitely something that I'm positive is going to start to get her to help, you know, get, uh, help her to start to feel better just by bumping up her fats and dropping her carbs a little bit at more specific times. Um, so I'm on definitely on the same wavelength there. Yeah. With women though, you definitely have to be careful because, uh, for, for women having proper glucose availability is definitely important. And then it's also, you know, I've seen some people go too much to the extreme of low carb and especially if somebody's dealing with some hypothyroid, for example, um, you know, insulin is actually important for the conversion of T4 to T3. So for people who are hypothyroid, if you drop their carbohydrates too low, you might see something in the other direction. So yeah, there are definitely some fringe cases where, um, you know, you might need to go a little bit more extreme with the macronutrients, especially the fat and the carbohydrate. But I think a lot of people think that they are one of the fringe cases and they go to the extreme and that can actually screw them up. I think everyone thinks that they're a fringe case and we're led to believe that there's I think we're led to believe that shit just has to be more difficult than it really is oftentimes. Yeah. And, and of course there's outliers and of course there's a lot of people with thyroid issues and people that have um, screwed up their metabolism, if you will, uh, in however many capacities that, you know, what that means. But more often than not, it's like, don't freak out, take a step back. Let's kind of evaluate the program that you're on and see where we can start to make some relatively simple adjustments, um, whether it be just slightly decreasing the calories, just shifting around the macronutrients a little bit, or maybe it's not even, you know, in, in this person's case, it's like, hey, you're actually at a really good point for your calories and I'm, I like it, it relatively high amount of calories and it's great that you're seeing results. That makes me feel good. But what if we just increased your physical activity a little bit too, right? Because we get so many people that train, right? They'll just like, they have an office job, then work day is done. They'll go train for 45 minutes, then go home and they sit around yeah. for the rest of the day. It's like, so you're getting a three or four training sessions a week, but you just don't move. Yeah. Otherwise. And so we see so much value in accumulating that 10,000 to 15,000 steps per day. If we changed nothing else, 
Yeah. I'm personally diligent about that because living this nomadic lifestyle, I don't have as much of a gym routine these days. So for me, I am constantly trying to get those steps in. And I don't know if you're familiar with Dr. Ben House, but he is Mm -hmm. such a crusader for the non-exercise activity. I love it. I think it's yeah, such an important message for people to be getting. Yeah. And I think even to the degree of it's something that needs to be separate from structured exercise. It's like we have to have our our movement per day. And yeah. it doesn't count towards your, your exercise. It's just, it's something that we're just ingrained in us that we have to do. And, you know, for me personally, something that it's been really interesting. Um, I've just started to move more frequently um, over these past several weeks. Uh, and, and kind of part of it was like improving my cardiorespiratory fitness um, so I started taking this like just this 25 minute kind of circuit class that's at our, our community center and uh, just as a means to move more and of yeah. course I would count this as structured exercise but it's been pretty incredible changing nothing else what it's done from a god body composition standpoint to say nothing of just how good I feel um, and of course, I I train consistently. I've been training consistently for years and years. But just moving more, whether it's structured or non-structured movement, really makes a huge difference in so many different so many different capacities. Yeah. Um. Cool. Cool. So so let's talk troubleshooting. What are yeah. some of the frequent problems that your clients experience? Um, what would kind of be the top? the top ones that, that you're kind of dealing with consistently? Yeah, I think for most people, it comes back to protein. A lot of people, if they're left to their own devices and they can just eat whatever they would normally eat, their protein intake might be under 100 grams per day. Um, so I usually find that people start with such a low amount of protein and they already feel like they've been eating a lot of protein foods that it's hard for them to then hit the higher target, especially when you get to that like one gram per pound of body fat or sorry, a pound of body weight, it can, it can be really difficult for people. So usually what I'll have them do is I like everyone that works with us keeps a MyFitnessPal food journal. And so when we're working one-on-one with a client, I'll usually go through and I'll do an audit and I'll see like, oh, you know, this person is eating three square meals, two snacks. Their snacks don't have any protein and their breakfast, they're having two eggs and that's the only protein source. Two eggs only has, you know, 12 to 14 grams of protein. So their total protein at breakfast is like 15 grams and they do really well at lunch and dinner. So then the troubleshooting there is just like, okay, first thing we need to do is focus on getting some more protein in at breakfast and we need to establish some habit changes that work for that client. Um, It's interesting. I find a lot of resistance when I tell someone to add maybe some meat to their eggs and their scramble in the morning. They're like meat in the morning. That seems weird if it's not sausage or bacon because we're so brainwashed to believe that like bacon, eggs, you know, eggs and sausage, whatever is the only thing that you can do. But then I'll start getting people to do it. Like maybe throw a little, make their breakfast look a little bit more like a later in the day meal, but you can kind of dress it up in a breakfast way. You can do like a little sweet potato hash with maybe some minced turkey in there and then you can have it with some eggs. And then all of a sudden the minced turkey is going to add some more protein into the mix, which can be really helpful. I'll also sometimes get people to do green smoothies with protein in it because some people are just on the go in the morning. So it's just easy for them to quickly fry two eggs, take it on the go. So instead of that, usually I'll have them whip up a smoothie with a bunch of vegetables and some protein powder and maybe some unsweetened almond milk or coconut milk. And then they can just 
just take that with them on the go. And then they're getting the micronutrients in from the vegetables they've blended up. Plus they're getting some more protein in from the protein powder. And sometimes I'll even have them throw in maybe some like pepitas some pumpkin seeds for a plant-based source of protein. Sweet. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, definitely. And, and then, so what kind of, uh, what kind of, problems do people experience like what about for clients that travel a lot they eat out a lot they're on the go kids driving around between practices what are some guidelines or tips that you typically throw their way yeah so especially for the people who it's like they're traveling a lot because they're around town with kids or work and all those other responsibilities I'll usually just tell them to put some non-perishable snacks in their car with them in case they have to miss a meal because their kid gets sick and they have to go pick them up from school and rush them over to the doctor, whatever it happens to be. So those situations where maybe you didn't prepare for them or you wouldn't think to prepare for them, I like them to just have kind of that emergency stash. And it's funny because I learned this from my mom. She always had like granola bar. Granted, it was granola bars and cashews yeah. in her car, but they were always there. So, was, yeah. so you know, I'm like, okay, you know, just – if that's your situation, keep some snacks in your car. Uh, for people who are traveling frequently, especially for work and work dinners and things of that nature, usually it is harder at a restaurant to get enough protein and vegetables. It's not difficult to get starches and fats. So that means that you should pack with you the things that are going to make up for what's going to be lacking. So if you're missing protein, you should be bringing some protein bars that fit your macros. You should bring bringing some protein powder and a blender bottle and maybe even some beef jerky or other protein snacks. Plus, since it's going to be harder to get vegetables, maybe you can get um, you know some carrots and hummus at the market when you actually land. And then that way you've got a vegetable that's relatively non-perishable. You can just leave in your hotel room and you should also maybe bring a greens powder with you just because um, that's going to be another way to get those micronutrients you might be missing it. So that's definitely a big suggestion for the people that are traveling. Um, I also think it's really important to utilize your freezer. So maybe next time you do meal prep, you throw something in a container or you, uh, vacuum seal it and throw it in your freezer. That way, next time you come home after a long day and you would normally default to your pantry and some foods that might not be the best for you, you can just default to the freezer, quickly heat up whatever you had prepared that was frozen. And at least you have a convenient, good meal for yourself rather than defaulting to like whatever is the most convenient calorie source in your pantry. Love it, man. Love it. We're definitely speaking the same language. It's, it's good to hear. It's good to hear. So tell us quick about um, you have done kind of uh, a fair amount of, of anecdotal research into eating healthy and hitting your macros on a budget. What, tell yeah. us a little bit about that. Yeah. So I think this was a little over a year ago. I think this was in 2016. I went through a period of time where um, I I'm still am very interested in the financial independence, early retirement community stuff. And uh, really taking your personal finance serious. And I realized that my grocery bill was astronomical because I was eating all of these really high quality foods. And as a CrossFit athlete who was consistently training for the open regionals, whatever it happened to be, my food intake was huge. I was eating like four plus thousand calories per day. So I looked at my grocery bill after regionals of 2016. And I was like, I was spending about $1,500 per month on food. I was like, I was almost spending as much as my rent in Los Angeles on food, <laughs> which mm -hmm. I thought was just ridiculous. So I went through this, uh, this experiment to see, can I eat for less than the cost of a Chipotle burrito per day? 
and still be eating with quark. The, with, without without quark. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I, yeah, I went through this period where I was like, okay, can I do this? And can I do it while I'm still eating? I went for my minimum amount of protein. So I was going for 0.85 times my body weight in grams per day. Okay. Um, I was going for, I think, 3,500 calories because my training volume decreased as I was going through a post-regionals kind of deload period. Um, and I was really trying to avoid my food sensitivities and eat as much organic and you know high-quality food as possible on this budget. Mm-hmm. And pretty much I was able to do, I think, 656 per day was what I was able to get my grocery bill down to, which really came down to a few simple principles. The first one was buying food in bulk. So I bought 25 pounds of chia seeds. I bought 25 oh, pounds. Crap. Yeah. And it, it came out to including shipping, I think under $2 per pound or maybe right around $2 per pound. Okay. So I would make a lot of chia pudding and chia is a good source of protein yeah. and fiber. So it was a really cheap protein source for me. I would make a ton of chia pudding, for example, with like some protein powder, protein powder, actually gram for gram is one of the cheapest ways to get protein in. So I would make like chia pudding with protein powder. I'd eat a ton of that. And also since there's a good amount of fat in chia, it ate up some of my fat calories as well. Um, So I would also buy like beans and rice and all these other things in bulk, whether it was online or from Costco and buying those things in bulk really helped me get my cost down. Also eating less meat. Uh, So I would eat at most eight ounces of meat per day, uh, which really helped bring the cost down and then getting most of my protein from, you know, seeds like chia seeds, um, getting it from lentils and rice and even eating some, some more oats and getting oatmeal in in the morning. Just by buying in bulk, I was really able to cut the grocery bill down. Then also decreasing the meat intake a little bit and really trying to go for the cheapest sources of meat, which actually ended up being things like chicken liver, for example, that are really high nutrient density. It was maybe like $3 a pound for organic free range chicken liver at the market by me. So, you know, doing things like that really helped. And then just really decreasing the amount that I was eating out. So the way that I calculated how much I was spending per day was taking my whole week and dividing the budget of the week by seven. And so I could only eat out once per week. And I would really think like, okay, you know, the most expensive thing for me to buy at the grocery store is usually vegetables anyway and meat. So I would always try to order something when I was out that was like vegetables and meat, because that would be a nice serving of vegetables and meat. I would pay a bunch for it anyway, if I was buying it from the grocery store. But, you know, when I was eating out, I was going to pay a bunch for it anyway. So that's what I'd go for rather than something that might have a starch, which was cheap and I was already eating a lot of it. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I love that because it it really sheds light on the whole excuse that so many people have of like, it's just too expensive to eat healthy and it's too inconvenient and all of those things, which we all know is bullshit. And it's just obviously not a priority for people. And obviously if you want to do it, you can, and you can do it quite efficiently and save a ton of money. So that's pretty cool. How'd you feel doing that whole process throughout that whole process? It was great, man. I cut my grocery bill in like a third or less than a third, which was an amazing thing. And uh, like I mentioned, for me, having beans and rice, for example, after a workout is a really good fuel source for me. And I feel, I personally feel good with beans and rice. I know that's not the case for everybody, but for me, it was great. It was like, I had all of this fuel. um, And I've actually kind of maintained 
the uh, eating mostly plant-based sources of protein and eating almost no more than eight ounces of meat per day since that period of time. So I've had a lot of really great takeaways from it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've definitely, my grocery bills kind of creeped back up now that I'm living a more nomadic life and I have less time for food prep. Yeah, you're like living large buying organic heirloom, you know, tomatoes and stuff like that. <laughs> well, yeah, that's, I mean, I'm on a permaculture farm right now, so I'm just pulling stuff straight out of the earth and snacking on it. So That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's awesome. Nice. So Matt, it's been great, man. It's been really great chatting with you. Tell us a little bit about your coaching program and where people can find you. Yeah, so they can find us at beyondmacros.com. Uh, we provide one-on-one coaching services. That's our primary business, but we actually this year have launched a group coaching program. And I believe when this show comes out, our group launch will be over, Uh, but you can pre-register for the next group launch. And our group coaching program, I like people to think about it like a group fitness class where you're still getting attention from the instructor, but it's not like a one-on-one session where all of the focus is on you. So, you know, we really work with people. You can get your questions answered with office hours. So every week I hold office hours where for an hour, people can ask questions. I can call them up on a video chat. I can talk through them, talk through issues with them one-on-one. So even though you're paying less money for this group coaching experience, you can really get those pressing questions you have answered. We have some really great group accountability rituals, things of that nature. So yeah, it's a really cool opportunity for a low price tag to be getting a relatively personalized um, nutrition experience. So uh, if they're interested in that, they can check out beyondmacros.com slash group and they'll be able to get on the wait list for the, uh, the second launch that we'll ha- be having. If this comes out in April, it should be coming out in uh, early June. Cool. That's awesome, man. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's, I, I'm finding consistently that there's oftentimes more value in the group coaching program than there is in the individual coaching program, especially because of the group, the accountability, the community support and everything like that. And because what other people are struggling with, you know, or what you're struggling with, other people are likely struggling with. And uh, so make sure you guys listening, if this spikes your interest, make sure you guys check it out over at beyondmacros.com. Matt, thank you, brother. I really appreciate your time. It's been enlightening. It's been great just to, you know, it's always good to talk to people that are on the same wavelength and kind of reinforce the things that you're seeing in your practice. And I'm just, I'm so happy to hear that your business is doing well and you're affecting change on a massive level for people that really need it. And uh, so keep up the good work, brother. Yeah. Thank you, brother. Thanks for the great questions. Ah, it's all good. It's been a pleasure to do it again. And uh, I'm looking forward to talking more. Cool. Look forward to it as well, man. Take care. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Matt Walrath. If you want to find any of the resources mentioned in this episode, you can find those links over in the show notes at bslnutrition.com forward slash episode 42. And don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review in iTunes so that we can help more people make smart nutrition simple. Thank you so much as always. Can't tell you how much I appreciate you taking the time to tune into the show. If you're new to the show, well, welcome. I hope you loved it and you tune in next week. And if you've been following us for quite a while, well then, again, thank you so much. We are so appreciative to have you on board. Uh, Please don't hesitate to contact me personally and let me know what I can do to make the show better, what guests you'd love to see, what questions you'd love to have answered, or what you're struggling with in your own health-related journey. You can reach me at ben at bslnutrition.com. 
please shoot me an email. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks so much again, and I'll talk to you next week. This episode was brought to you by BSL Nutrition and the Complete Essentials All-in-One Training Drink. If you've been looking for a comprehensive workout supplement that can help support great energy both in and around your workouts as well as reduce muscle soreness naturally without all the caffeine and artificial sweeteners, then head over to bslnutritionshop.com and type in podcast at checkout for 15% off your first purchase of either grape and or lemon lime.